Hi everyone, I'm Ricardo Gonsalves and welcome to this podcast of Small Business Secrets. It's about diversity in this podcast and we'll start with refugee talent, how you can find them and how refugees can add to your small business. Rin Models is a modelling agency with a difference because they have models of colour on their books. The Bread and Butter Project is a social enterprise which makes bread but they employ people which have had a bit of a, a hard backstory. So refugees and even, you know, some people that have come out of jail, for example, and provide them with opportunities. And we'll speak with the owner of Hijab House. They provide clothing for Muslim women. It's a special niche and it's working for them. All of that and more in this podcast of Small Business Secrets. Coming up, Bridging the Gap, the small business connecting refugees with jobs. Bread and butter, the artesian bakery with an altruistic point of difference, and hijabs and high heels, the buying power of the fashion-conscious Muslim woman. If you think about Boxing Day sale, it's about double that intensity. Hi everyone, I'm Ricardo Gonsalves and welcome to Small Business Secrets. Also coming up in the program, we meet the refugee behind Australia's first dark-skinned modelling agency. But first, did you know, recent studies show businesses with more diverse staff make more money. Those with gender diversity are 15% more likely to have financial returns above average for their industry. Those with greater racial and ethnic diversity are 35% more likely to have better financial returns. Finding a job can be challenging at the best of times, but if you're a refugee, cultural differences and language barriers can make it even more difficult. That's why a former professor and a Syrian refugee set up an online job site specifically designed for those new to Australia. And as Camille Bianchi reports six months in, candidates are connecting with employers all over Australia. Narari Dacho has done much with his first year in Australia. Not satisfied with landing a job himself, he felt it was his responsibility to help other refugees. My idea was to create a platform similar to Seek or Indeed or any other platforms that will be specific for refugees. For the majority of asylum seekers, resettlement doesn't mean the end of uncertainty. Many remain unemployed for two years after relocation. Refugee Talent aims to address that gap. I worked on Nauru in the detention centre for Save the Children. I met many highly skilled people who had to flee their homelands and, you know, they had no choice and couldn't work and, you know, all they want to do is contribute and be doing something in their profession. The online network offers training, coaching and job matching, providing an alternative to government programs. Half of our platform is technology and another half is uh, personal relation between us and the refugees and they are happy with this because nobody give him assistance with their resumes and uh, be in touch with them every, every week. Hedra Abdo was an accountant in Syria. Since I arrived I was trying to get a job you know because I don't like to stay uh, at home and yeah but like it was very hard 
More than a year into her search, she signed on to Refugee Talent and things began to change. Like I just posted my resume in, on their uh, website and after two months, Anna called me and she said that there's um, Beyond Travel yeah, and they want someone in their accounts department. Restarting her old career in her new home. She certainly has a lot of potential and I saw that from earlier on and just um, giving her a go was the thing and um, I'm very pleased. The more diversified, the more creative we will be and successful. I myself am a migrant so I understand where she's coming from and just to give her a go. Companies pay the platform up to $300 for a short-term hire or 10% of a permanent wage for the first year. At the moment, there are 120 professionals, including former IT specialists, engineers and politicians, all looking for work. Australia has committed to accepting more than 30,000 refugees by 2017. For Narari, that means 30,000 opportunities for small businesses. The models on Zwaj size books are, as to be expected, really, really good looking. What might not be expected is that they are all dark skinned. And that's exactly why the South Sudanese refugee started his small business. My name is Jwad Sire, I'm 21 and I'm the founder of Ring Models. The idea started between me and my cousin. Ring was involved in fashion and he started sewing at the age of eight. We were looking for models for Ring Label because he had an idea and was looking for dark skinned models and it was really hard. That sort of, you know, ticked the idea of, okay, we should really start a, you know, a modeling agency because this market isn't there. During the process of developing the agency, Ring had a tragic accident and passed away when we were about to launch the agency to the public. I obviously went through a process of having doubts and maybe thinking I shouldn't continue, but then I worked alongside him and the effort that he put in, you know, just gave me the strength that I needed to continue on and felt right to change the name to Ring Models. I launched it on his birthday, 25th of May 2015. The financial side of things, it did cost me a fair bit to start the business, because you know, there's things that I wasn't aware of at that time. As I had more experience, I find out that there's things that I needed that I didn't have at that moment. And one of those things, you know, were you know, hiring a booker. You know, that was really something that I needed. During that process, I had to go back to construction because I'm a carpenter myself to make sure, you know, the money's coming in to make sure that I'm paying the new booker. I'm hoping you know, at the end of the year the business is at that stage where I can make it a full-time thing for myself, where I stop the carpentry and focus 100% on the agency. So this is Lily. I found her through a, a beauty pageant called Miss Africa South Australia. Um, she's Eritrean, so East Africa. This is Yaj, he's one of our male models. I recently signed him and he's doing really great at the moment. So this is Gwed. I also recently signed her. She just got booked for at Adelaide Fashion Festival. She also has a photo shoot um, in the two weeks 
for a label coming up. I'm just always, you know, about looking everywhere. I'm always on social media, you know, having a browse, walking around, going to events, and yeah. So you never know where you'll find a model. At the beginning, because people weren't aware of the agency, it was really hard for our girls to get booked. As we started getting publicity and people are really interested in, um, in dark skin models. I've had really good feedback from people, you know, saying, you know, what you're doing is fantastic. You know, we'll like to work with, you know, different models. So you're bringing diversity into the industry. The highlight of the business so far is when I've been approached by a larger agency that I was looking to work with you know, down the track and they actually approached me early and said they were interested in working with me and that was IMG. It will make a lot of difference with our agency. You know, I'm a new business, you know, and I'm in the process of creating a relationship with clients. So where IMG has been here for a really long time and have that relationship with clients. So it will give the girls the opportunity to um, work for big label and be seen by, you know, larger clients and give them the exposure they need. As the owners of a well-known Sydney bakery, Paul Allum and his wife Jess Grinberg had the basic ingredients needed to start this social enterprise, helping train refugees in basic baking. All they needed was a little love. With seed capital from the federal government and several foundations, the Bread and Butter project is now well and truly on the rise. The Bread and Butter Project has been at this inner Sydney site for four years, but it's inside where the rising stars of the banking world are being trained. G'day Jess. Hi Ricardo, welcome to the Bread and Butter Project. Thank you. You're not a normal bakery though, are you? No, we're a social enterprise bakery. We're actually Australia's first social enterprise bakery. So what does that mean? It means that 100% of our profits goes into providing opportunity for those in the community that need it the most. And we do that by training refugees and asylum seekers to become bakers. Where did the idea come from? The idea came from a trip that my husband Paul Allen, who is the um, co-owner of Burke Street Bakery, and myself made in 2011. We spent some time in an orphanage in Maysot on the Thai-Burma border teaching some of the refugee women there how to bake, and we just had an amazing experience, and we thought, wouldn't it be great to do something in our own backyard? Okay, can we have a look at some of the bread? Yeah, let's go. So who are all these people? So we have here our baker trainers who come from all over the globe. We have baker trainers from Iran, Sierra Leone, Syria, Burma, wherever refugees and asylum seekers that settle in Greater Sydney are from, they're able to come and train here. But we also have professional bakers who we call baker trainers and they're teaching the craft of artisan bread baking and pastry through our trainees. This is Chris. Hi, Dave, Chris. How are you? He's Welcome. our um, assistant general manager and he's responsible for the sales and the day to day running of the place. Welcome, let me show you around. Great, let's have a look. Cool. So, this is our main production room. The guys are currently doing one of the final shapes for what looks to be a five grain sourdough. So, this is one of the final stages between uh, now and when the bakers actually get the, uh, the bread. Yep. And then it goes through our, to our baking room afterwards. 
what the guys are doing at the moment in their shaping process is building a bit of tension into the dough. What this tension does is actually allow the loaf to rise really nicely when it goes through the oven. So that's one of the biggest components and this is one of the most technical skills that the bakers will actually learn. And you know, all the bakers and all our trainees do go through every single process in the whole baking production. And this is one that takes a little while longer for them to perfect their skills. Nearly all of our trainees that come in here have no experience in a bakery and for many of them it's their first paid job at all. If they were working it was in the casual or illegal economy so it's really um, an incredible opportunity for them. They get paid to learn a new craft and um, you know we hold their hand through all the processes and teach them how to do it on their own and eventually we negotiate jobs for them at the end of their time with us as well. It really enhances their chances for successful resettlement in Australia. So who have we got here? We've got um, Abu, he's yeah. here. How long have you been um, a trainee, Abu? From uh, Vermont. And Abu, where are you from? From Sierra Leone. And what brought you to Australia? I come as a refugee. Right. And how are you finding working here? Do you enjoy it? Pretty much. What, what do you like about it? I like everything about it. Where do they go after their training is completed? Well, when they're here actually, they get to do two paid work experiences in external hospitality environments. So some go to big commercial kitchens, some go to bakeries, some go to cafes, and we ask them, what did you like about that? What didn't you like about that? You know, it's time for you to start to plan your career pathway, and we help them plan their career pathway. We don't want to tell them where they have to work. Some people want to work in a big place, some people don't want to have anything to do with the public. Some people like that um, engagement with the public. So some of them have gone on to become um, apprentice chefs. Some have gone on to work in, in bakery cafes and um, some in bigger factories. Yeah, come through. This is Sompasan. Hello. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Good, very good. What are you making? I want to try to do muffin for delivery. Yep, and then also I have a. Uh, this one, uh, the chocolate muffin. Right. Would you like to try one? Yes, please. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And you've got people now giving back to the organisation. That's right. Our first couple of trainees now are professional bakers here. Sompasan is actually one of them. And another lady called Ma from Burma. She's also a professional baker trainer. So they've become like, uh, kind of like, the, the, the elders with knowledge and wisdom and they've been through the process and they can explain to the trainees what's going on. What's the public reaction been like? The public reaction has been overwhelmingly positive. I think people love our products. They buy it because they love the bread and they love the pastry and, and now the, the muffins and muesli. <laughs> then when they hear that we're also a social enterprise and all that profit is going into providing opportunity, to those that need it the most, people just think, wow, that's a win-win for everyone. I get to eat something great and I'm helping people at the same time. Speaking of eating, shall we try <laughs> it? Go for it. <laughs> There's an adage in franchising, did I fail the model or did the model fail me? Not all businesses or owners are a good fit with the franchise framework. Miles Morgan spoke to one such small business. In business, you've got a dress to impress, and yes, that's a cliche. But there's also people who earn a living out of making you look impressive.
Burridge family began Bell's Dry Cleaners back in 1964. Our first store, um, when we first opened, it was about 4% of the market, and now we would hold 60% of the retail market in, in the Canberra region. For the next two decades, the family tested various business models. In 1978, um, my father purchased this store, and this was actually a dry cleaner and a baker. So half this store was um, dry cleaning and half was bakery. Um, then we introduced photos into the business in early 80s, about 83. Eventually, they decided to concentrate on dry cleaning, expanding to eight shops and franchising the business. The franchise was put a set in place that, so we could expand the business and people within the business were, um, would work for us and then they had the opportunity to own their own store and with that um, we set up a model that they could use and run a successful business for themselves. But the franchise model became restrictive and it was losing money. When you go into franchising, you stop selling widgets and you start selling franchises. And dealing with franchisees can be very different than dealing with the general public. So don't underestimate that. So when his father left the business, Julian made a change. We decided that um, we didn't want to take on the franchise. Um, so we decided in that situation that we would just still hold the naming rights, run the website for the different stores. And that just made it a little bit more flexible for the store owners with the ex-franchisees so they can then control their costs in changing times. Julian says it was liberating. When I was a franchise, you had to you know, open certain hours. We had, to have, we had certain pricing. Now the owners can set their own prices um, to do with what, what their market is. And they can also open the hours that they see fit them. The family still control four of the eight Bell's Dry Cleaners and business has improved since they changed their business model. In the four stores that are um, the family-based um, business, um, there's about 20 staff. The turnovers range in those stores from, uh, I think, $350,000 annually to $1.3 million annually. While Julian welcomes the freedom defranchising has brought, he says there is a downside. We used to have like uh, monthly meetings, Everyone used to go around to each other's stores and do quality checks. So these things changed. I guess you're a bit more isolated going from the franchise to running your own store. And you, it's, you get independence, but you also become a little bit more isolated from the other owners. Franchising wasn't a good fit for Bells, but Julian still has faith in the business model. The Muslim fashion industry is estimated to be worth around $96 billion. And the owner of Sydney's Hijab House is chasing part of it. Tariq Hucha says the secret to his success was realising that Muslim women were increasingly embracing faith and fashion and filling that retail gap in the Australian market. Camille Bianchi reports. <laughs> It's Eid sale time at Hijab House. It's chaotic. We have people fight over clothes. In one day, these women will spend more than $100,000 shopping for outfits to celebrate the end of Ramadan. It's just a really crazy sale. And if you think about Boxing Day sale, it's about double that intensity. 
Tara Kuchar found the inspiration for Hijab House on a shopping trip with his sister. There was literally nothing available for her. The colours weren't matched to her preferences. Uh, it was all black. And for this designer, that wasn't good enough. He wanted Muslim women to enjoy fashion too. And so he started Hijab House. It was just a very, um, like, colours, but now, because it's all the, um, the stylists and stuff, small, younger generation as well, all beautiful stuff. Doors opened in 2011, only to close two years later as overheads crept up. Once we closed the stores, a lot of the customers realised how important Hijab House was to the community and how valued our products were. Two years on, Hijab House is well and truly open for business selling more than 100,000 hijabs a year. You've got to get your clothes, you've got to get your scarves. With a 300% markup on each one, the business is bringing in half a million dollars a year. So I guess a short-term financial goal would be to develop a business that turns over about $5 million uh, annually. And in terms of longer-term visionary goals, I guess we would just want to be you know, the biggest fast fashion retailer for modest dressing women. Despite the higher cost of domestic production, Hijab House manufactures a third of its garments at its factory in Sydney. This means they can be turned around faster for busy periods such as Ramadan, when the business makes 75% of its annual sales. And social media plays a huge role year-round. Hijab House has 300,000 followers on Facebook, another 200,000 on Instagram, where many customers peruse the latest stock. The platform trumps traditional advertising for this label, but popularity has made it a target. Someone had gone into our account, changed all our passwords, and began systematically deleting all of our photos and replacing it with Donald Trump propaganda or, or American polit political propaganda videos, guns, um, money, so very kind of anti-Islamic um, messages. And Tarek has become accustomed to defending his designs. What we need to understand is that for a lot of Muslim girls, putting on the hijab is extremely difficult in a country like Australia where, you know, people perceive the hijab as a form of oppression. It's really inhibitive to um, a lot of um, careers for a lot of women. A lot of women face a lot of discrimination in, the, in, in workplaces, in industries. It is our role to make sure all Muslim women, all women that do shop at hijab house are empowered and comfortable. In this business, they come first. You have to face the decision of whether to shut down or just continue fighting for the people and the customers that you love. And that is all we have time for in this edition of Small Business Secrets. If you do have any questions about your small business, why not ask KPMG Enterprise? We have their expertise on hand to help. The details are on our website. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and you can watch a show anytime on SBS On Demand. I'm Ricardo Gonsalves. I'll see you next time. And that is all we have time for in this podcast of Small Business Secrets. Don't forget, though, you can find us on both Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Biz Secrets SBS or Small Business Secrets. And don't forget, there is more on our website, sbs.com.au forward slash news. You can find us there. I'm Ricardo Gonsalves. I'll speak to you soon.